Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, tonight the NBA playoffs are upon us. You are listening to Brandon's World on this Tuesday, April 18th, 2023. We have a lot to go over today on Brandon's World. Not only are we going to be going over the entire great action that we saw, of course, in Game 1s and a little bit of the Game 2s over the weekend and last night in the NBA playoffs. Well, there's a lot of news right now in the world of professional wrestling. We're awaiting to see a punk, a new AEW show, which leads me to a very interesting question that I'm going to be asking not only about CM Punk's return, potentially to AEW, but a lot that is happening in wrestling. We will get to that at the end of today's show. But first, as always, make sure you follow me on Twitter at BrennanLewis underscore 7. Follow the show at Real underscore Big World. You can check us out wherever you get audio podcasts, as well as our video podcasts are available on the Brands World YouTube channel. You already know we are sponsored by Spotify for podcasters, formerly known as Anchor, and we are in collaboration with the Great Voltage Live. Before we get into today's podcast as well, on Thursday, good friend of the show and my former colleague at Believe One Media, James Elfred, stopped by. We'll be talking all things Cleveland Guardians. Of course, he is the co-host of the Guardians of the COE podcast for Believe on Media with Mel Kirby. James is also a big wrestling and basketball as well as football. We're going to spend the majority of time talking baseball, wrestling, and the NBA plus with James. So look for that to drop on Thursday. Before we get to the wonderful, incredible action that was the NBA playoffs over the weekend... You know, I was thinking about the play-in tournament. And, uh, you know, I heard a lot about, you know, over the Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, the games that were played, whether it was the Timberwolves and the Lakers, or, or whether it was, you know, the Hawks and the Heat, or whether it was, you know, the Thunder Pelicans, whether it was, you know, whoever else, uh, Bulls, Raptors in the play-in tournament. I heard a lot about the word urgency. And now the play-in tournament uh, really created urgency in the NBA because we know the playoffs are a lot different in the NBA than the regular season. We know stars take time off regular season games. A lot of teams won't manage. The regular season doesn't matter as much. But yet the play-in tournament does, and so does the postseason. And I think a way... For the NBA to create urgency with their playoffs, it's to shorten their playoff schedule. Now, if I was the NBA personally, I would get rid of the play-in tournament. Uh, the play-in tournament does not count for the regular season. It does not count for the postseason. It's very hard to dig up stats for. And so to me, it feels like a gimmick. Uh, you don't see a play-in tournament take place in the NFL. You don't see it take place in Major League Baseball. And to me, I know there's some argument that it makes the regular season matter more. To me, it makes the regular season matter less because even if you get a 7, 8, 9, 10, you have another tournament to get into the postseason. It just does not feel right to me. Again, it feels like a gimmick, and I think gimmick should be reserved for the great sport of professional wrestling. So if we're going to get one of the play-in tournament then to me, the only other way to create urgency in the NBA is to shorten the playoff series. Now, bear in mind that in the NBA, there has only been two teams in the history of the entire sport to win the championship, 
not being a top three seed. One of those teams was the 1960s Boston Celtics with Bill Russell, the other being the 1995 Houston Rockets. And that Houston Rocket team was only a number six seed because Emo Ijewan missed most of the regular season with an injury. He came back in mid-March. The Rockets downrated the way for the postseason. Reminds me a lot of what Golden State will potentially do, or the Lakers even, uh, this season out in the Western Conference. Outside of that is your top three seed uh, in either conference. You really don't have a legitimate chance to win the championship, historically speaking. So I am going to borrow a little bit from the NFL playoffs. I'm going to borrow a little bit from the MLB playoffs. And I think this is how you can make the NBA feel more urgency. You can make the regular season matter more because you can make seeding matter more. And therefore, all NBA games will feel more important. It's why, again, I don't talk a lot of NBA in the regular season outside of the trade deadline because the games just don't feel that important when these many stars are missing games. So in the first round, what I would have would be the number one seed gets a bye. You have two versus seven, three versus six, and then four versus five in a three-round series. Now, all three of those games would take place at the home team's arena. So it would be a best out of three, all the MLB playoffs, that we saw this year in the wild card round, where again there was more urgency because you lost two straight games, you were eliminated from the postseason. I would have NFL style number one seed gets a buy, so it incentivizes the number one seed because they get a couple more days off. Two versus seven, three versus six, and four versus five in a three game series that all take place at the home team's arena. Then in the semifinal round. You have obviously the one versus the lowest remaining seed, and then you have the two higher remaining seeds. Those games would take place at uh, in a best of five, excuse me, in a best of five series. And then the conference finals and the NBA finals would be best of seven like normal. So it creates urgency in the first two rounds when you do have then you know, uh, the first round being a best of three at the all teams building, and then the semifinals being a best of five. I've never been a big fan of the best of five series uh, in baseball. I think it really gives a disadvantage to the road team because if you don't steal a game, it puts pressure on you to win both of your home games or you're completely eliminated, that being in games three and four. But I think in the NBA, where, again, we don't have, you know, a ton of upsets, uh, in the first round, where mainly everybody is predicting for the Celtics, the Bucks, the Sixers, uh, out west, Denver, um, you know, uh, Phoenix, excuse me, to beat the Clippers. There are really five out of the eight teams in the NBA first round. Everybody is predicting to win, and so to make it a little bit more unpredictable, that is my solution to fix the NBA playoff seeding format. Boy, these NBA playoffs, man, they've been something, haven't they? Um, You know, listen, we talked about it, you know, going into the NBA playoffs, and it does seem like that once again, as it does with every NBA season, that injuries and health are going to dictate the championship. Uh, we certainly have had a lot of level of surprises, especially, I would say, out west. 
uh, in, in these playoffs. Now, I'm not going to go through, obviously, every single game, every single moment, every series and talk about it because that would take way too long. Uh, obviously, Boston destroying Atlanta in game one. We all expect Boston to kind of win that series. You know, the Lakers had a little bit of a scare at halftime in game one. It looked like Anthony Davis was hurt, but then the Lakers come back. They did their thing. Uh, regardless if John Moran was hurt or not, which is unfortunate, that incredible play that Anthony Davis made taking the charge. John Moran, though, goes down. He has a hand injury. Uh, I did pick the Lakers to win game one. I thought, you know, if John Morant was going to play, that being tomorrow night in Game 2, Memphis would bounce back, tie the series at 1-1. But as you guys know, I did predict the Lakers to win that series. Clippers Suns was a very interesting game. You know, I banged on Russell Westbrook for years and years and years, and he had another rush-like game going 3-for-19 from the field. Why anybody thinks that guy is a Hall of Famer is beyond me. But he did make the defensive play in the moment, in the game. And he also made key impacts on the defensive end of the court on Kevin Durant throughout the game. Listen, the Clippers, I thought, played incredible out of their mind. They played very focused. We know they have a great head coach in Tyron Lu. Regardless, I do not think they're going to win the series. And this is my biggest takeaway. You know, you talk about... You know, obviously the Clippers uh, st stealing game one against Phoenix. You know, the Lakers defeating Memphis. Miami defeating Milwaukee, which it does sound like Giannis is going to play in game two after that scary fall. But not all game ones are the same. Sometimes in game ones, you can see things and they're a little bit fluky. You know, like like Matt, like Max Schrutz, excuse me, and those guys for the Heat going off in Game One. Don't think that's going to happen. Uh, if Miami does steal Game Two or Game Five, or even if they go up, you know, three one in the series, then we have a real series. But until that point, I think Milwaukee still has control in that series. Same thing for the Clippers. However, the problem is going to be if the Clippers do end up winning both of those games in Los Angeles, if the Suns come back and win game two tonight, if the Clippers do win both those games in LA, that series gets real three to one. And they also have a robot-like figure in Kawhi Leonard. The two teams that I think I might have been completely wrong about potentially going into these playoffs are actually both of the teams that met for four straight NBA finals between 2015 and 2018. Obviously different rosters now for both, but one being the Cleveland Cavaliers who no longer have LeBron James and one being Golden State. And this might be the end of their dynasty. We all saw Draymond Green, you know, kicking some bonus last night in game two. Um, and it looks like that Sacramento right now is just the better situational team, which for such a young team, and yes, they are led by Coach Mike Brown, who was the defensive coordinator and then Golden State for all those years. But for such a young team in Sacramento against a veteran-like team in Golden State, it's very shocking to me. You know, Golden State, I know that they are the champs. I know they struggled on the road all this year. I know that there were signs. But as I said in my playoff predictions, and I said this a little bit, I alluded to it a little bit earlier in this podcast today, or, or if you're watching on YouTube, go back and check out the quote where I talked about the NBA needing to create more urgency in the postseason. 
by, you know, limiting those rounds. That being, in my opinion, the first round should be a best of three where the number one seed gets a bye. You have no eight seed. It's a lot like the NFL and MLB playoff format. Semifinal round is best of five. Conference finals and NBA finals best of seven series. That creates more urgency in the NBA playoffs. Uh, and it makes the games matter more as opposed to a gimmick play in tournament. But when you look at the playoffs, you know, again, outside of the Houston Rockets in 1995, where Akeem Wan was hurt for most of the regular season, came back in mid-March, and they were a way better team than what they were seeded at the number six seed. And that 1960s Boston Celtics team led by Bill Russell we have never seen an NBA team win the championship when they are not a top three seed. And I thought this year in the West, between Golden State and the LA Lakers, both had similar issues, where they were both really struggling prior to the trade deadline. There was real concern on if either team was going to even make the postseason. And then they started getting on and playing well towards the end of the year. Golden State specifically at home, Lakers on the home and on the road front, and you kind of thought, okay, both these teams can make a run in the postseason. So far, it seems like the Lakers can. If the Lakers play the Kings in the next round, the Lakers have a legitimate chance to go to the Western Conference Finals, which I do think at this point they would play Phoenix or the Clippers. I think the winner of that Phoenix-Clippers matchup, which to me is a little bit less in stone than what it was going into game one on Sunday, they would defeat Denver. I think Denver rolls over Minnesota. Like I said, I don't think Minnesota is very good. They kind of snuck in. There's a reason why the eighth seed, in my opinion, should not be involved in the postseason. But that's not the here nor there. But yeah, Golden State... You know, they just, they're not Golden Statists. They're they are not buttoned up. Uh, they turn the ball over. They're very careless with their possessions. There are signs that you can see, you know, kick out to Andrew Wiggins in the corner, then making buckets, then going on runs. But it's not as consistent. And every time they do so, Sacramento responds right back. Their defense is not at the championship level that it was for all those years they made the finals, regardless if they won or lost against, you know, the Cavs, Toronto, and then Boston, obviously, last year. So more so than ever, I do think Golden State's in trouble. If they go down, three to one against Sacramento. Sacramento was able to steal a game, but Sacramento had a pretty good road record uh, this regular season. If the Kings, who I thought absolutely had no chance to beat Golden State, there's a real possibility they could go back to the Golden One Center up three to one. That's completely shocking to me. Again, I'm not as shocked about the Lakers. A little bit shocked about the Clippers. We'll see. I think tonight will tell all. Uh, if Kevin Durant you know, uh, has his type of game and the Suns bounce back, I think there will be no concern. But if Chris Paul continues to show age, if Devin Booker continues to not be that dog that people think he is, even though he is not, Devin Booker has never been willing to be the guy on the team. To me, Devin Booker is a number three on a championship team, not a number two. And Kevin Durant is showing the reason why. And to me, Chris Paul has to be more assertive in the scoring department for Phoenix to get back up and win that game. So what are we concerned about Phoenix? Not surprised about the Lakers. Uh, not surprised about Denver. Golden State, to me, is the most surprised in the West. East, there was not a ton of surprises. 
Philly's taking care of Brooklyn. It feels like Boston is going to roll over Atlanta. Yes, Miami's still a game on, on Milwaukee, but that was probably mostly because a lot of their guys got the hot end. Tyler uh, Hero being out for the rest of the series is going to hurt them to me more than Giannis missing. And I think Reggie Miller even said this on TNT. Giannis missing this game as opposed to Tyler Hero missing the rest of the series is a bigger deal for Miami as opposed to Milwaukee. And we all expect Milwaukee to eventually win the series. The one surprise in the East, and this is what I was trying to allude to when I mentioned the two teams that surprised me in Golden State and the Cavs, is, you know, my Cleveland Cavaliers, and you will hear this interview that I do with James Elfritz. We recorded Sunday night. That was, of course, the day after game one. You're going to hear that on Thursday. Of course, James, the co-host of the Guardians of the CLE podcast, over at Believe Win Media. Not only do we talk about WrestleMania and WWE and the draft, and if there's too much wrestling, which again, I will get to at the end of today's show, but we talked Cavs. And, you know, I said my main concern after game one was the Cavs have two giant seven footers, obviously, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen. They got out rebounded, out physical, out tough by the New York Knicks, and Mitchell Robinson is lengthy, and O.B. Toppin is lengthy, and Julius Randle can be lengthy, and Jalen Brunson's beating Isaac Okoro, and Jetty Osmond, and Gareth LeVert, and whoever else you want to throw at the Cavs at them. And my other concern was, outside of the fact that Donovan Mitchell was literally the only person for the Cavs that scored, uh, Darius Garland did not show up much. Jared Allen had a decent game, but you're not going to count on Jared Allen to be really your second leading scorer. Evan Mobley played an okay game, but not great. Uh, not only did the bench not show up in general, but the Cavs were not ready to play. And as you've heard on multiple accounts, whether when I was with Believe in Media doing the All Things Cavs podcast with Joey Schneider, if you heard it on this podcast, I have been very critical of one J.B. Pickerstaff and his coaching and his rotations. I do not think J.B. is the guy for the Cavs going forward. I thought the Cavs were tremendously outcoached. Uh, bite out Ibido in game one. And again, not all game ones are the same. You kind of feel like Milwaukee's going to bounce back. Um, you know, you do feel like at some point the Suns are going to bounce back. The Cavs and Golden State to me are the two teams in the first round that we expected to win that are in the most trouble. The Cavs to me more than Golden State at this point because some people did predict Golden State to to lose at Sacramento. With Golden State, it was either they're losing to Sacramento or they're winning the championship, essentially. Most people predicted the Cavs to win possibly a first-round series against the Knicks. Uh, they, they have the more talent. And when you look at Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, versus Jalen Bronson quickly, and then Julius Randle. The Cavs, in my opinion, have one more buffer. But the thing about the Knicks there is that they are so much talented and so much deeper. The Cavs' bench is non-existent, uh, and the Cavs' small forward spot is non-existent. And when I did my Brandon's World sort of Brandon's fundamentals last week where I talked about, hey, in the NFL, right, I think that you need a lean offense. You need an offensive-minded coach. You need receivers. You need an offensive line. You need to have these modern sort of um, progressive schemes and reads in modern-day football. In baseball, you need really good pitching, really good bullpen, a good mix of contact and power hitters. 
In basketball, my main thing you need is shooting from all areas and wings. And the Cavs probably do not have shooting from all areas of the floor, and they don't have wings that can score and defend. Isaac Okoro can be hit or miss. Karis Levert, as soon as he gets in the postseason, acts like a clown. He played absolutely terrible. And so for that reason, I do think now the Knicks have a real chance to pull off the series win against the Cavs, which is unfortunate for me as a as a Cleveland guy because it is the Cavs, again, first postseason uh, in my lifetime without LeBron James on its roster. However, we will see what happens come tonight in Game 2. Very interesting playoffs so far. I do think Elv is going to dictate it. It's been really fun. Again, you can see the competitiveness. You can see the urgency in these games, which is why we need to cut back on the regular season. And could you imagine if you cut the regular season down below 70 or so games, then you have this best out of three that I propose, the best out of five. These guys playing every single night. I mean, how great is it to see Kawhi Leonard on a court dominating again? How great is it to see Kawhi and Kevin Durant sort of go one-on-one? Gold State and Sacramento back and forth. Then you have the defensive physicality of a Cavs-Knicks series. On top of that, Wakers-Grizzlies where there's, you know, a John Moran potentially if he plays, a LeBron and AD, and that factor of Hachimura and Austin Reeves developing. Like, there is a lot of balance in the NBA, and to me, it's going to make these playoffs very interesting. We all think we know who's who's going to win the title. And Milwaukee's out there in that conversation. Boston's in the conversation. Philadelphia, what about we'll see if they can get past Boston, Joel Embiid, and James Arden and Tyrese Maxey. I said that was going to be the key for them to get all three of them to score. They did that for the first two games against Brooklyn, even though Mikel Bridges is becoming a star right before your eyes, but Brooklyn's just not there yet. There's a lot of talent there, uh, and we will see how it goes as the postseason progresses with that said let's go ahead and jump into the Jalen Hurts contract you guys know I am a Philadelphia Eagles fan through and through I've been an Eagles fan my whole youth life since I was five years old you guys have heard my first ever short that I made on our YouTube channel was me discussing my anger and my vile after the Super Bowl loss, and it still hurts, and I don't want to talk about it. But Jaywin Ertz's contract sets up the Philadelphia Eagles for not only now, but in the future. The cap hits on it are extremely low. Uh, they're more low than the likes of Patrick Mahomes. They're way more low than the likes of the contracts that Matthew Stafford got and Kirk Cousins and Daniel Jones and, you know, Deshaun Watson, uh, they're only about, you know, $6 million in 2023. 2024 then bumps up to about 20. 2025, it seems like, you know, around 25, 26. And then 2026, it's just a little bit over $30 million. And, well, he does get about an average of $51 million a year when you take a look at the 255 over five years. A lot of it is going to go into signing bonuses. A lot of it's going to be back money so that you can keep the cap number down. And I I love Jalen Hurts. I think he is the franchise quarterback of the future for the Philadelphia Eagles. But as I have said, as a talk show host to you now for the last 
you know, almost five years here, whether it's been on Black School Radio at my college at Kent State University, or whether it's been the last two years through this podcast, I have been an advocate of, I do not root for my players on my favorite teams to get paid the big bucks because I do not want to be financially handicapped. I want to have financial stability. I want my players to take a Tom Brady, a Patrick Mahomes, a LeBron, a Tim Duncan like discount and not take the max money and give me an opportunity to win. I'm all for guys getting paid, but is there really a difference? And again, you know, I grew up, uh, at what you would consider a, a poor wealth class, I guess. Uh, so I did not grow up with, with a lot of money. But is there a big difference to me between, you know, 25 and 50 million? I don't know. You know, the rich people, may, maybe it is. Uh, to me, growing up with not a lot of money, 25 million is okay for me. You know, for people that grew up with millions and millions of dollars, 25 million may not be enough to them. Um, but I think Jay when Ertz does realize that this will give the Eagles more cap flexibility. It will give them the opportunity to whatever they want to do. Again, go in the draft. If you want to draft an offensive lineman to protect your investment, uh, where Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson are about to retire here in the next couple of years. If you want to go defensive line, uh, I could see the Eagles doing that. But potentially defensive back, if Christian Gonzalez, the long corner out of Oregon, is there, you know, I'm going to do my mock draft next Tuesday, my one and only mock draft, and I'm very much looking forward to that. But you are giving yourself an opportunity to keep an A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, your dominating offensive line pieces to your defensive line, even though it's getting older. Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis, Josh Sweat, Derek Barnett. Um, you know, obviously Bradbury and Slay together at corner, a young rookie uh, going into his second year at linebacker into Kobe Dean. So the Eagles still have a lot of pieces. Uh, they're going to fill that in with the draft. But again, the more financial flexibility you have to build around yourself as a quarterback. Quarterbacks are great. Quarterbacks lead teams. We know that. You cannot win championships without having a great quarterback. But at the same time, right, Quarterbacks cannot succeed without having a star wide receiver, without having a good number two, a good number three, a great offensive line to block, a physical upfront defensive line. Uh, running backs, you know, you can find anywhere in the sixth or seventh round. Well, I don't get this talk that the Eagles are going to take B. John Robinson. I don't get it. Uh, Howie Roseman, I will never see him uh, taking a running back in the top 10 running backs are more complimentary pieces. But for a kid like Jalen Hurts, who went from, you know, going to Alabama to getting benched for Tua, uh, to transferring to Oklahoma, to being in the second round, to being viewed by Doug Peterson and the Eagles staff as a wild cat, as an ill-white quarterback, to then beating out Carson Wentz for the job, to then forcing Carson Wentz for a trade, for then doubters, you know, from Eagles fans and in the organization of if Jalen Hurts is the long-term quarterback, to then an MVP-like caliber season, and I believe he should have won the MVP last season, and to have a new offensive coordinator this year in Brian Johnson after Shane Steichen became, you know, for the first time in Jalen's football wife, essentially, uh, since his dad coached him in high school, for him to have a, the same offensive play caller two years in a row. This kid's been dealing with a lot of stuff. 
Uh, he's always stayed humble. He's grinded. And good people get what good people deserve. I always said, stay humble, stay kind. And so that is the result of Jalen Hurts. He's a great kid. He's the future of the Philadelphia Eagles. And I love everything about it. I love the fact that Jalen Hurts gets paid. I love the fact that he did not take every single dollar to give my team, the Philadelphia Eagles, financial ability and and you know, rework ability to be able to stay in contention for years to come with QB1 at the helm. Right in the West segment on today's show, we're going to be diving into some professional wrestling news because there's some very interesting news in terms of CM Punk and AEW and the elite situation. Now, you guys know we have not covered this a ton um, obviously, we are more WWE based here in this podcast at Brand's World. I'm not the biggest all elite wrestling fan. However, with that being said, I think that this is significant news because we did cover when CM Punk came back to AEW in the summer of 2021. And alongside Brian Danielson and Adam Cole, and no 2020 hindsight here, you can look it up. I said, I believe that AEW may have just changed the game. Now, that was at a time where people were very restless with WWE. They were very bored and stale of Vince McMahon's creative. Uh, fans had just returned, and AEW was coming off a very good all-out pay-per-view, and it really seemed like AEW was carrying that momentum. But ever since, and I have said this too, ever since that night of all-out 2021 when we all thought AEW changed the game, it did not happen, and come fast forward a year, all out 2022 is where the CM Punk scrum happened after the show, the backstage elite fight happened, and all this broke down, and we have not seen CM Punk in AEW since. But the reports are, after again initial reporting that CM Punk would never be back in AEW again, reports are now saying that Tony Khan has created plans to bring CM Punk back into the fold in AEW. Here is the interesting wrinkle about it, though. The reports state there is potential, and obviously we've heard the rumors of AEW potentially getting an extra two-hour dynamite, if you will, a Saturday show that would take place at 6.05 p.m. Eastern like the old WCW days. There are reports that whatever the name of this new show will be, CM Punk will be the main attraction of that show, and they will do a roster split similar to the WWE brand split, where you have you know CM Punk and his guys that he wants to work with on one show, John Moxley, Chris Jericho, the Elite, etc. Still on Wednesday night, Dynamite, and you know I don't know how it would work in AEW because again I don't really watch the product that often. Uh, I just find it very interesting that AEW is adding on an extra two-hour show and that CM Punk would be the headliner of it. Because like it or not, CM Punk does bring eyeballs to the product. You know, CM Punk did bring up AEW ratings when he was there in the last year. CM Punk is a household name. CM Punk is one of the most beloved names in the industry, even if he can be someone of an ass at sometimes. Um, but with this news, it made me think, and it made me think about, is there too much professional wrestling on television these days? If you just take WWE, 
in AEW, right? Monday Night Raw on Mondays, uh, NXT on Tuesdays, AEW Dynamite on Wednesdays, Friday Night SmackDown and Rampage on Fridays, as well as this new AEW show on Saturdays, as well as any WWE premium live events, whether it be the main roster or NXT, as well as any AEW pay-per-view events that obviously happen quarterly, where WWE seem to happen once every one or two months. So you can make an argument that just between those two companies, outside of Thursday nights, there is wrestling on every single day of the week. And when you include Ring of Honor, which now obviously Tony Khan owns, which happens on Thursdays, and Impact Wrestling, which happens on Thursdays, there is literally wrestling on every single day of the week. And I have said this for a multitude of times. One of the best things about the NFL, and it's why I'm hoping that they do not go to primetime seven games a week, as we talked about as a rumor a couple weeks ago, is there's only football on, you know, obviously occasionally Saturday when college football is not in season, but mostly it is Monday, Thursday, Sunday. There is not an overexposure to the NFL. Now, the MLB, obviously, they have to play every day. NBA, there's games on every day, but no sane person will watch 82 NBA games, you know, watching the NBA every single game, every single night. No insane person will watch the NHL every single night. No insane person will watch Major League Baseball every single night of every single team. It's just not feasible. Uh, wrestling is different. Uh, wrestling is a lot like the NFL where it's sort of under one property. Obviously, there's two big companies, uh, but a lot of wrestling fans, I feel like if you're a WWE fan, you tend to watch possibly WWE and AEW, where if you're an AEW fan, you may only watch AEW, though sometimes you may watch WWE. But regardless, if you're just a fan of professional wrestling in general, like I know a lot of people do, a lot of people do watch WWE, AEW, Ring of Honor, Impact, New Japan. There are so many promotions out there. There are so many jobs for talent, which is great. But is wrestling overexposed in today's world? Take it from me, a very casual wrestling fan who only watches Monday Night Raw, Friday Night SmackDown, and WWE's premium live events. I will occasionally check out an all-week wrestling pay-per-view uh, if there's a free stream, if I find the time, if there's a match, you know, CM Punk, Jericho, uh, MJF, John Moxley, you know, one of the big stars. They have Jeff Hardy just returned uh, back there last week. So if there's a big breaking moment in AEW that I just want to check out for a second, I will. Uh, I watch some of the AEW clips, though I do not religiously watch their product. And so for me, you know, when you have other interests, when you're watching other TV shows or you're watching other sports, there's just too much wrestling consumption. And sometimes we can just not view it all uh, in today's society. You know, a decade ago, it was sort of Raw Monday, SmackDown Friday. Maybe NXT was just starting on Tuesday nights once ECW ended, but it was TNA on Thursdays and that was it. It still was a lot, but it didn't feel like a lot because we were still getting that constant break. 
Now with AEW being a legitimate competitor, if you will, to WWE, and with more wrestling promotions out there, and with NXT being its own third brand, even though it's developmental, it's way more developmental than what it was in 2010, when it was almost an unwatchable product. You can make an argument. You could watch wrestling in this day and age, seven days a week. And I don't know if it's good or not. I have made the argument in the past, I don't think it's good. Uh, I think that you should stick and choose to what you watch. I know a lot of people, and I read a lot of comments online, that see some people just watch AEW Dynamite on Wednesdays, Friday Night Smackdown on Fridays, and they don't watch Monday Night Raw, which seems really weird to me. Uh, Rampage is obviously a B-show. I think we can all agree right now, Smackdown is a better show than Raw, though Raw definitely has its moments. I'm sure all you AEW fans can tell me that AEW has its moments too. But let me know down below if you really do feel like there is too much wrestling uh, in today's society. Because again, Raw, NXT, Dynamite, Impact, ROH, Rampage, SmackDown, Premium Live Events, AEW's new Saturday show, potentially like it is just an overwhelming amount of content in the professional wrestling realm right now. And that'll do it. For today's Brandon's World, and I appreciate you guys for joining me today here on this Tuesday. Once again, on Thursday, we'll be bringing James Elfords onto the show for the first time. Discuss all things Cleveland Guardians, our Cavaliers in the NBA playoffs, as well as WWE WrestleMania and the sale of WWE to Endeavor. And I'll ask him a little bit about this topic, you know, about is there too much professional wrestling in today's society? And with that, you've been listening to Brands Warren. Again, we are in collaboration with Voltage 5. We are sponsored by Spotify for podcasters. We can be seen on all audio and video platforms. And we'll see you guys on Thursday. Peace.